0: You are listening to The Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to The Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Gina Gardner. She is a number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and relationship coach, and transformational leadership trainer with well over 30 years of experience helping people experience happiness, success and fulfillment. She's the founder of the Thrive Together Tribe, membership and personal and spiritual development program and the Enlightened Leadership Program. Hi Gina, how are you?
1: I'm very good, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Really appreciate Ah,
0: it. It is my pleasure. Uh, Do you want to add something else to your introduction?
1: I don't think so. I think people will get to know me and what I do through our conversation.
0: Oh, awesome. I love it. So let's take it from the top. Uh, in fact, I will let you choose. Do you want to start with uh, the leadership success story or the leadership uh, failure story? Which one do you prefer?
1: Um, well, I think for me, the failure story is very much about what I've learned from working with the leaders who, were, uh, who had a style of leadership which was really poor. Good. And so for me, the learning has been um, for the most, I'm sure I've made lots of mistakes, but in terms of the really big mistakes, I, I feel quite fortunate really that I worked for, I was a head teacher or I don't know if you call them head teacher or principal for 21 years before I started working okay. with businesses. Um, and my, I only worked in three schools um i i I became a a head very early but the first two head teachers that i worked for were just awful I how not to do it so my first head teacher he didn't come out of his office until he had done the telegraph crossword but he was awful at crosswords so he didn't actually come out of his office until two (laughs) o'clock he was so absent in terms of anything that was going on in the school. Fortunately, there was a brilliant staff team and they just got on with it. But every now and again, he'd come out of his office and whatever was going on, he'd come in, he'd disrupt that or say, you know, what are you doing that for? When he'd given no direction, there was no vision, no direction, no interaction, no relationship. So that was my first experience of working with it, with a, a leader. And my and, and what I found was that there were leaders within um, the workforce. So if leaders don't lead, other people will step up into that situation.
0: Um, yes, that's true. And then
1: in my second school, the head was so lazy um, that he would go off, and it was a very and we're talking about the late 70s now. Um, you know, most days he was disappearing up to the local market to get his shopping or going to play golf or, you know, Um, and he, what I learned from him is that he would, we would spend an hour in a staff meeting discussing things and making a decision. And then depending on who he spoke to, that decision would be overturned with no explanation.
0: Explanation?
1: There would God. be no explanation. He would just come in the next morning and say, I've changed my mind. <laughs> so all of the discussion was of no account. And and to add insult to injury, he would then uh, go and suggest, decide we were going to do something else. Halfway through doing it, he would change his mind again.
0: Again? Oh my so God.
1: You never knew where you were. And for me, what both of those head teachers taught me were if you like the central tenets of of my work when i was leading my own organization for over 20 years um and also when within when i work with leaders and that is you have to have absolute integrity you've got to walk your talk yes you know your stuff you've got to be genuine and hard working you've got to be compassionate and recognise that everything you say or do has an impact on other people. Um, and, you know, the second head, he would come in and you you never knew in the morning what sort of, of day you were going to have. Some days he was very oh. friendly, other days he was grumpy, some days he was quite aggressive. So everybody was on the back foot. And so for me, you know, that that being professional, modelling the behaviours that you want from other people Yes. Um, and the, the the third thing is to have the courage to do what's right. It's not always comfortable, and sometimes you've got to have the difficult conversations, or you've got to make hard decisions. But both those heads modelled that they wouldn't make the hard decisions; they always just did the easiest thing. So yes. I had great teachers.
0: Yeah, and it, it's a great thing that you're saying, Gina, because you. Even if you have like a bad experience, you have like a leader that's it's one of the worst leaders that you could have. You can still learn how to be a leader just by not doing what that person absolutely. was doing.
1: yeah, absolutely. And you know for me, right the way through from i, I mean, my first job, I started at twenty one and you know here am I now several decades later, and those lessons have informed how I've operated as a professional um, all my working life. It would have been easy at one level to copy the way they were doing it, but it felt so wrong. Um, okay. And I was determined to do things very differently.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's good. You, you, that's how you have innovation and you have progress in anything. If you just copy what everybody's doing, might be good, I'm not saying it might be good, but try to to put your own spin on it, your own personality in it to yeah. to advance it a little Yes
1: yeah.
0: um, and then you also mentioned at the beginning that uh, you, you work with a lot of leaders and yeah. you've also learned a lot from their failures. Yes, uh, can you share what you have learned?
1: well, for me. Uh, m- m- the situation is that um, I became—I um, had a very bad ski accident when I was a deputy, um, and okay. I was appointed very soon after that to be the acting head or principal, and then the principal, because my head teacher, my third head teacher, suddenly died um, one night in his sleep, and I'd only it's been tragic. a deputy for a year. It was, and he was a lovely man and a great leader, so I—I I had the opportunity.
0: A true tragedy. To go.
1: Um, and, I, and so I became a leader very early and one of the things that was really important to me is that I made a success of it, but for the most part I ran my school from a wheelchair and the gift oh. that was that I had to find a way of supporting people to take responsibility for their own performance and have a shared responsibility for the performance of the team. And to do that without micromanaging because couldn't physically get into the classroom. Yes. Now, it turned out to be an incredibly um, successful approach. The school was on the best 100 schools in England list twice during Ooh-hoo. my um, We were one of the first beacon schools and so worked with dozens of other schools and hundreds of other teachers, um, helping them to use the same strategies and uh, principles to um, improve the quality of leadership in their own schools. And I was invited to be an advisor to the government and I worked for the National College of Leadership and the London Institute. And they're the same principles and techniques that I used with businesses with very successful results. And they're the bedrock of the Enlightened Leadership Programme. And there are certain principles about this. Number one, you've got to take responsibility for everything you think, you say, yes. and you take responsibility for your own emotional state, for example. And that bit was really important because my school was in, in quite an urban area. Um, there was a lot of, of inherent um, aggression within the area. You know, you look to the way people drove. Yes. Um, and I wanted something very different <clears throat> in school. So just as a small example, I I worked with a staff and one of the strap lines of the school was we have zero tolerance of aggression and bullying. Now that oh, doesn't good. Mean, really good. Doesn't mean that it didn't happen, all right? Because kids oh, yeah. are kids.
0: Unfortunately, yes.
1: However, in order for that to be the case, every member of staff, teaching and non-teaching, had to be absolutely squeaky clean. It was no good saying we have zero tolerance of aggression if a teacher was shouting and screaming and hollering and lost their (laughs) So what I instituted was a training programme for every member of staff, teaching and non-teaching, where they learnt to manage their own emotions, learnt to manage difficult people. So hand on heart, I could say to a child, you never see one of the teachers or the or the other staff being aggressive, do you? We say our truth. We, we tell people if we're not happy, but we do it in a professional way. I expect that from you. And I could say to the parents, you know, come in. We'll listen to you, but not when you're hollering and chanting. So come and sit yes. down, have a cup of tea. Tell me what the problem is. And I will listen, but we don't do aggression here. And it was incredibly successful. But it
0: oh, was, I bet
1: it was. because it's no good just saying these things. And that's what often happens. People say, you know, they have these strap lines or these values, which are meaningless because they don't translate into the behaviors on a day to day basis. So, all of those principles that, that, that we had within school. Was supported by the structures and by myself and my, my senior teachers and my middle managers all modelling those behaviours, those principles. And one of the ways to do that was to have a shared understanding of what words like excellent mean. You know, people say, yes. you know, we want it to be excellent, but your version of excellence in any context, and my version of excellence in any context, are going to be slightly different. But if you have a shared understanding of what that looks like in terms of behaviours, then you can start to really make a difference. Um, And it's a a process, it's a a strategy that has worked well in a whole range of businesses. The widgets don't matter, because we're talking about people.
0: Well, it's it's so true and it's it's something that's um, now thinking about it is in all the businesses that I've been involved and um, for which I worked or or I owned is having the shared vocabulary and everybody knowing exactly what the term means. Yes. it creates it makes the business move. it makes it easier to communicate and communication is the most important part. Of the work because you cannot do it alone if you're working alone okay you know exactly what you're thinking and you know exactly what it means it's okay but uh, the second another person uh, is involved you need to have a shared common ground on which to stand
1: this is true for life as well you know if you're talking about partners at home You know, I talk about every relationship. Incidentally, every relationship is a a reflection of the relationship you have with yourself. But in terms of the way in which you use language and you have a blueprint for what each of those means, we're both speaking English at the moment. We could say that you're speaking oranges and I'm speaking apples. We're both speaking fruits, but we'll have slightly different... Meanings and understandings of different words and how they translate into action, and so when you create a, a the shared language of fruit between people, then yeah. you can move forward and for me, that's quite a simple analogy that people can understand
0: oh it's a really good analogy like the <laughs> yeah. language of fruit yes. cool. <laughs> um. And would you have uh, an, another leadership success story that you would like to share?
1: So I took over from my, uh, my, my previous head um, as the head of the school. And I'd okay. been appointed to be the deputy a year before in order to be the catalyst for change.
0: Oh, a young position.
1: I was the youngest bar two on the staff. Big staff it was, a big, it was the biggest school of its sort in the borough. And when I um, took over, I had a lot of people who had been in the job for years and had always done what they'd always done. And I was very young to be a deputy, let alone to be a head. So you know, the, I, the view, I think, when I first took over was, well, what do you know? you know? You're wet behind the ears. What have you got to offer us? we've been at this game? And one of the teachers, she was known as the Welsh Dragon, tiny she was four foot ten and she was a real okay. fireball she had quite a temper she was one of those that i needed to work with uh, in terms of the uh, the no aggression and she ran the library and okay. she color-coded the books by the color of the spine of the book so it looked very pretty but nobody had a well, scoopy okay. of where anything was or how you found anything
0: no way to find anything <laughs>
1: So the library ultimately just was a bit of a white elephant, really, or rather a multicolored elephant.
0: And I thought, <laughs> Pretty to look at.
1: Absolutely, but absolutely useless. And so I thought, how am I going to manage this? If I just go to her and say, look, your, your library management's rubbish, that's not going to do anything. Yes. So I thought, I need to get her on board. I need to do something different. So what I did is I phoned the local um, area librarian, and I said, "Can you tell me the three schools with the best school libraries?" And I spoke to the head teachers of those schools and arranged for uh, for us to go and visit. Now the lady didn't drive, so I drove her, and I went and had a cup of tea with the head because okay. I didn't want to be interfering in this. Although the head Perfect. teacher had had a quiet word with their librarian. Behind the scenes,
0: Uh and
1: we went to have a session with the librarian. So, after the first visit, on the way back, I just said, You had a good, good, interesting visit? And she said, Yes, and I left it. I have to tell you, the urge to say, What was it like? What did you think? But I sat on (laughs) my tongue, and that's a really interesting leadership skill is to know when to shut up and be quiet. Okay, so off we went to the second visit. And it was very much like the first. And uh, at the, on the, the um, way home, I said, "You had a good visit." Yes, I've had a good visit. On the third visit, as we came back into the car, she said to me, "I'd like to put in the Dewey system. What do you think?" I didn't spot oh. the car and go, "Yes, <laughs> yes." I wanted to. Oh, what a good idea that would be," said I. Uh, and I offered to, um, to spend some money. She got an army of parents to come in and, and help her. And within six weeks, the army, the, the library was revolutionized. Now, the upshot of this was more than the library. And I think it's really important that people recognize that. If I'd gone in and I'd thrown my weight about, I may have won that battle, but I wouldn't have won the war. Yes. By being careful about doing this so i preserved her sense of ownership of the library and i gave her the agenda and the responsibility what indeed happened is that she became quite different in school when there was something new coming on she'd say i'll pilot that and she would give it a go her temper and her manner just transformed to being somebody who was positive and ready to try new things. And in fact, she was due to retire in five years when I arrived and she stayed 10. And she was just as vibrant Mm. and enthusiastic at the end as she had been during that time. And I think there's so many lessons in there. Now, of course, there are times when you can't take that time, but in reality, organizing the visits, doing the visits, took me a month. But I got a decade of loyalty, of hard work, of engagement with other people in a very different way than if i just gone in and said, this is rubbish, I want the Jewish system.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. And in fact, while you are talking, I was thinking about the fact that as a leader, you need to work on your um, finesse, and on your tact. It's a skill, it doesn't matter where you are at the moment, but work on it, uh, so you become more diplomatic and you know and more pleasant to work with, because if you throw your weight around, soon enough you're going to have everybody against you.
1: I would say to you, to anybody, and whether this is whether you're talking about a leader or a team member or a member of the family, yes. treat other people as you would like to be treated. And if you do that, you're very unlikely to go far wrong. You know, what we don't know is what other people are going through. It's very easy to make judgments about a person and what they're doing. But yes. unless you have real empathy for that person, you don't know. Until you walk in that person's shoes, you don't know. And so, one of the things that one of the principles that I talked to my staff about, particularly when they were dealing with children or parents, is you have no idea what's gone on in that day, that week, that life that's led to that moment. And you can make assumptions and be so wrong. So, if you assume motive, for example, let me give you a simple example of what I mean walking down the road, okay? And somebody who's a friend of yours walks past you and you say hello and they ignore you. Many people would think, oh, what's wrong with them? That's a bit humpy. And be really cross with them. But they don't know that that person hasn't had some bad news or that that person is trying to work out a tricky problem in their head. And it's not that they've ignored you to ignore you. But they're just wrapped up in what they're doing. And many of us assume motive when the reality is that we're just collateral damage. That it's not intended to be um, a rejection. It's just that people are wrapped up in what they're doing. And I think it's important to remember that 95% of everything we do is habitual. It doesn't actually cross our conscious mind. And so... We go into habitual patterns of behavior, of language, and so on. And I would say to anybody, whether you're with leading within your family, and for me, it, you, lead your, you, you have to lead your own life because you're the common denominator you take mm. with yourself every moment of every day.
0: <laughs> so sure.
1: why assume a negative emo, uh, motive? Why look for the worst? Give people the benefit of the doubt. and so instead of being humpy with that person to be able to perhaps phone them and say saw you in the high street you looked really wrapped up in what you're doing are you okay rather than you know look at them they're supposed to be my friend and they've ignored me not just
0: give them the yeah not just give them the benefit of the doubt but take it a step further
1: absolutely and again Isn't that how you would want somebody to treat you?
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, And now based on all your experiences, um, what would be like your leadership philosophy?
1: Number one, lead yourself first. Yes. Take radical responsibility for everything you think, say and do because every um, thought leads to emotions, which leads to actions and words. Recognize um, that if you want a better quality of life, if you want a better quality of relationship, if you want a better quality of leadership, then need better quality thoughts. So if you focus on the negative, then you'll, that will expand. If you have a a belief that you'll fail, it's almost a done deal. If you believe you might fail, you're going to make a different set of decisions to if you think to yourself, I believe I will succeed. Don't necessarily know how yet, but I will succeed. So ultimately, our thoughts translate into the quality of life that we have. Then think about your language, the power of language, not just to other people, but what's going on in your head, what's that self-chatter?
0: What you're saying to yourself.
1: Absolutely. Do you have one set of criteria for you and a different set of criteria for other people? In my experience, most people are much harder on themselves than they are on other people. They give other people great credit for what they do, but when you say to them that's good, they say, "Oh, it's all right, it's okay." But if it was somebody else, fantastic. Now there are very few people who do it the other way around, and tell you (laughs) how wonderful they are, and actually, it's rubbish. Um, But ultimately, use the same criteria. And I would say, you know, if you want to be a great leader then knowing your why is so important you know what's your purpose why are you doing it because if you want to create a vision that other people can engage in if you want to be able to communicate that um, and use it like a lighthouse in the storm to keep people going when life gets tricky you've got to have clarity of purpose you've got to know what does success look like and so many people have no clue. So they're never gonna know if they get there. And it makes it difficult to plan strategically. It makes it difficult to engage people in the vision and so on. And ultimately I think you know, compassion, treating people well, um, being able to, uh, to recognize potential in other people and nurture that potential is really, really important. Um, and, you know, being the best version of you that you can be um, in order to serve other people. And for me, leadership is about service.
0: Yes. Wow. You you just gave me a lot of food for thought.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
0: <laughs> uh, probably it's going to be tough to, choose, to pick, like, three leadership tips you would have for aspiring leaders.
1: Sorry, could you say that again?
0: Uh, probably it's going to be tough to choose ju- just the top three leadership tips you would well, have for aspiring in a leaders. Easy.
1: Number one is you have to lead yourself first. Managing yes. thoughts, emotions, words, actions. Okay? Because a lot
0: comes Be professional. Absolutely.
1: Way. Model the behaviors you want from other people. Be consistent. Be professional. Okay? That'd be the first one. My second one is take radical responsibility. And I mean radical responsibility. So if something's going wrong with your staff, look to yourself first. Have you been clear? Have you set the expectations clearly? Have you appointed the right person for the job? Have you trained and inducted them? Have you held them to account? So radical responsibility um, and uh, for, for you, in order to then develop radical responsibility in others, and the third, I think I would say is recognize that that you are you have an amazing range of experience and talents, but if, if you want to really succeed in business, particularly a true family, you can't do it on your own. You can't be the expert in everything. And the best leaders are not frightened of appointing people who are better at them at certain things. They want the best of the best, and their role is to bring out the best and bring the team together. So, you know, if you're a great leader, then what you want is a great team, and you look for the best in people.
0: Yes, it's your job to do it, so there's no avoiding yet. And since we talked about having, having a better quality of thoughts mm-hmm. and you need to feed the brain with new ideas, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you?
1: Um, I would say Stephen Covey's The Eighth Habit.
0: The Eighth Habit of, by Stephen Covey.
1: Stephen so Covey was famous for writing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, Leaders. Yes. About 15 or 20 years after he'd written that, he wrote another book called The Apes Habit. And in that, he talks about servant leaders. Um, and for me, it, it didn't change my behavior as a leader, but what it did is confirmed that I was on, you know, that I was a servant leader and I, <laughs> it put some sort of science behind it. Uh, I just did it instinctively. Um, but I, I like his stuff. It's really great.
0: Well, it's always good to get confirmation for what you feel like. And, and oh, i there right were
1: some ideas in there. Don't, don't get me wrong. I didn't know it all. <laughs> but in, but what, one of the things that struck me is that I then had a name for some of the things that I was doing that I didn't have before. But, but the, the two books together work very well. The seven habits of highly effective leaders. And then the eighth habit, um, well worth a read if
0: you haven't read them before yeah for sure um i'm going to pick them up i think i i read the seven um successful habits of leaders but i haven't read the eighth
1: i think you'll enjoy so, it. yeah
0: yeah i'll put it on my list um, and gina where can people go to find out more about you
1: um, if you go to either of the websites, um, all of my programs and lots of free resources on genuinely, then a hyphen, and then the word you.com. So that's genuinely hyphen you.com. If you're interested in, in uh, taking part in the Enlightened Leadership program, which is a 10-month supported program, all online, so it doesn't matter where you are, um, then go to enlightenedleadership.co. That's enlightenedleadership.co. You can find me on LinkedIn, Gina Gardner. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Genuinely You, uh, with Gina Gardner. I'm on YouTube. I've got a free TV series that you can sign up for on the the, uh, website. I'm on Instagram. Um, There's plenty of places to find me, and I'd love to hear from your listeners. And if I can help any of them, they can set up a discovery call to find out if the Enlightened Leadership program's for them.
0: Well, they should set up a discovery call, and I'll put all the resources and in, inside the show notes, okay. so uh, people can find you and reach out to you. And I highly recommend that they do. It's been a pleasure, Gina, talking with you. Thank you very, Thank much. You very much for being. Perfect.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye bye now. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techileadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.